each farmer and even the, the pressures that they're feeling because of what's taking place in the weather. So we ask for your favor again over this city and that you would you would just slow down the rains and that they would be able to get their crops out and be able to do what they need to do to continue on and make a living. And so we just thank you for them also, Lord, in Jesus' strong name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Well, let's prepare our hearts to give this morning and then we'll continue on. Wahoo! Well, Lord, thanks for this day. We just ask your blessing upon this time and that our giving would honor you. In Jesus' name. Huh. Well, I have two, two things that um, I want to share about our building just till we retire. <laughs> you know, like in, in America, we have a retirement mentality, but God, you never retire with God. You're always a son. You're always a daughter. You're always um, in his purpose and in his plan, and he has, he has things planned for you uh, the days of your life. And he has things for us to do, and so that's exciting, and it's absolutely wonderful. So, so there you go. And then some of us are getting a little older, and guess what? You got a lot to look forward to. So, we're we're gonna start looking at. A brief overview of Moses' relationship with God. We're not going to get into massive detail, but I want you to see it, and I want you to see it as it goes and and uh, and grows, and really see the heart of Moses. Because what I want to encourage us, each and every one of us, is to have the same heart that he has, and the same passion that he had for God, and the same desires. And so we just want to start looking. And if you want to. Go to Exodus chapter 3, and then we're going to, well, guess what? I'm probably not going to read a lot of these. Uh, I'm going to read some of them as we get going here. But if you look at Exodus chapter 3, in Exodus chapter 3, it's the burning bush experience. Moses is out in the wilderness, and what he does is he sees this burning bush, and it's, it doesn't consume itself. It just keeps burning and keeps burning. And so he goes, I'm going to step aside and see what in the world this is all about. And so he steps aside, and as he gets near to the bush, the he hears a voice speaking to him out of the bush, saying, take off your shoes, this is holy ground. And so God reveals himself to Moses as the holy one. And so so here he, here he comes, he takes off his shoes, and it says he put his face to the ground because he didn't want to look, look at the, you know, the burning bush and, and um, God who was in it. And so he's, he's just bowing down now before the Lord. He's taking his shoes off. So, you know, that speaks of just the pollutants and the garbage of the world because he, when you walk in certain cultures... <laughs> That's why certain cultures you take your shoes off when you walk in because you don't know what you've stepped in. And there's all this animal stuff and all this things in the streets. Like when we go to India, yeah, wash your feet and you do all sorts of things. But uh, so he takes off his shoes and then God God speaks to him as, as this the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He reveals himself to him as that's who I am. I'm the one who 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 was from your generations and the promises that I made to Abraham and he's he's coming and he's reestablishing re some things he's he's saying who he is but here's the amazing thing that happens in in uh, Exodus chapter 3 is Moses says who who shall I say sent me 
Because he goes, go, you're going to deliver the children of Israel. Who shall I say sent me? Who are you? He goes, I know you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but that's not a name. That's just saying whose God he is. And so God reveals for the very first time the name Yahweh. He says, I am who I am. It's a new revelation. And actually, this is the word that becomes, it's like over 6,800 times in, in the Bible, you get this word Yahweh to speak of who God is. So he's Yahweh. I am who I am. And so he gives Moses this revelation so he can declare to the children of Israel. And this idea is I am is that he exists. He's the all-existent one. I am also has the concept of, of whatever we need he is because he's the provider. He's the one who's doing this. This idea of Yahweh is is the the ever all existing one and so there's this this concept that goes on and so Moses gets this fresh revelation of who God is and it's all because really of his fear if we read this chapter and we went through the whole thing he says they won't listen to me who who, who am I going to say sent me uh, they're not going to hear me they're not going to listen I'm slow of speech send someone else and he's saying all these different things and God's saying look look who I am and I will be with you and so he begins to speak to him and begins to show him who he is, which is a powerful thing. And it's just a wonderful deal. Then if we continue to think about his life, God calls him into the land of Egypt to say, let my people go, because he was to be the deliverer. And we know that he had tried to do that 40 years before when he killed that Egyptian um, master. And because they were afflicting the, the children of Israel. And it says in another passage in the New Testament that he thought that they would know he was the deliverer, but they didn't, and neither did the Egyptians, so he had to flee into the wilderness. And so at this burning bush experience, he's been in the wilderness for 40 years. He's been married. He's had children. And now he's God calls him, and he says, I want you to go back. I want you to go to the land of Egypt to do the thing that I called you to do, which is to be that deliverer. You will deliver my people. And so he goes there, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he begins to speak, and he begins to do these things. And, and we see all these amazing miracles that, that were surrounding Moses. God did the miracles, but he used Moses to proclaim them and, and to declare them and to set the time of them. And, and release them through the words that were spoken. And so Moses goes, and, and there's these ten plagues that take place in the land of Egypt. Incredible, amazing uh, miracles that, that only God could do. And so, so then finally they let the children of Israel go, and they, they take all their, you know, they plunder the Egyptians basically by, by asking them for, for all their gold and silver and jewels and all these things. So they give them to them and then they leave and they start their journey into the wilderness. And as they go into the wilderness, Moses is there and leading the people and they come to the Red Sea. And then when they turn around and look, here's the Egyptians coming, Pharaoh and all of his chariots, and they're coming to take them back. They said, we're, we're not letting you go. You're going to stay with us. And then God does his thing again, and he says to Moses, he says, what's the, you know, what's this thing in your hand? Lift up the rod. He stretches forth the rod, and the Red Sea splits, and the wind comes and blows. And God sets this pillar of fire in between the Egyptians and them so that when this land can dry, all of the millions of people that are leaving can go through this just walls of water on both sides, which would be that would be really kind of amazing to really see if you think about it. This is like, whoa, <laughs> and you're walking through. And so they're going through and they get to the other side and then God lifts up the cloud because he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to destroy those who are following after you. And they go and they travel into the the sea and God lets the walls come down and wipes out Pharaoh's army in an instant. He didn't have to do it that way. He could have done it. He's done it other ways before, like 185,000 soldiers. They were sleeping and then 
when everyone else woke up, there was 185,000 that were dead. And so God can do anything. But he did this splitting of the Red Sea. And then when they're walking through the wilderness and things are taking place and they come to a place with no water and the people are grumbling and complaining, God says, take that rod and strike the rock. And then water comes gushing out of the, out of the rock to water all the people. And, of course, the New Testament tells us that the rock was Jesus. You know, it's a sign. It's a figurative thing of him being the water of life and those things. And so this breaking of the rock was was bringing forth this wonderful stuff and so he sees all of these miracles he's participating in the miracle work of God which is a great new revelation and new power that he's working in and so he's moving and he's he's working with God and then we come to Mount Sinai as they're traveling through and so God's on the mountain and there's this dark cloud, there's like fire, and there's thunder, and there's lightning, just bolts of lightning flying all over the place on top of this mountain. And God says, come on up. Come on up. And so what does he do? He goes up on the mountain. And I think this is just really amazing. He receives the Ten Commandments. And again, here's fresh revelation from God for the people and so Moses receives this from God. He's receiving things that, that no one else has ever heard before. No one else has ever proclaimed or declared. Then not only that, he gives him the intricate design, the absolute intricate and design of the tabernacle and the garments for the priests and the high priests and the garments for, for the others that would be helping from the tribe of of. Uh, Levi and all those and so then he's given them everything how how to do the sacrifices when to do them what they're to be called he lays out everything he lays out a year of worship for the people he lays out these different sacrifices and we know from what we know in the scripture that every single one of these feasts proclaim something they're a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do they're a foreshadowing of what would take place because God knows the plan. He knows the whole plan. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. And so there's this process of, of him receiving all of this stuff. And then the incredible thing happens that as he's on the mountain, and, and by the way, Joshua is up there too, because that's just the way he is. You see him, he's, he's, with, he's with Moses. Joshua is like, He's hungry for God, and he's, he's Moses' associate, you know, his assistant, whatever you want to call him. He's, he's his right-hand man, and he's with him, and he's there. And uh, so then during this time, then there's the golden calf. And so the children of Israel talk Aaron into making a golden calf, and he says his stupid words, well, I just threw some gold in and a calf popped out. You know, that's that's really dumb. Yeah, God, I, yeah, what? I don't know. I just, I didn't do anything. Just threw some gold. Yeah, right. That would be a miracle, would it not? <laughs> Creative miracle, and I don't think God did it. So anyway, he forms this calf. He does all this stuff, and then, of course, he makes his excuse and says, why? why he did it, the people made me kind of thing. That was the people, it was the people. And and so God spoke to him. And, and so then here's what takes place is in Exodus chapter 33, and we are going to read some of the stuff in there. In uh, Exodus chapter 33, we see a few things take place. One thing is that is that Moses is interceding for the people because God said, I will destroy this people, this stiff-necked people, because of their idolatry. Do you know what they called the name of the golden calf? Yahweh, this is the God who brought us out of the land of Egypt. That's what they were saying, this golden calf that they made from the earrings that they had from Egypt. And so he says, I'll just destroy these people, Moses, and I'll make a people out of you because it would still 
fulfill the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, of course, Moses' heart was for God. He said, God, you can't do this because the Egyptians will misinterpret it and think that you weren't powerful enough to bring them into the land. And so he's talking to God, and he's interceding on their behalf, and he's saying, God, you, you need to not do this because of these people. And because of his heart with God and because of his intercession, then God says, very good, I won't do it. I won't destroy this people, but I'm not going in with them. I'm going to fulfill my promise. I said I would give them a land full of milk and honey, and really the promise was to Abraham. And so God was going to fulfill that promise, even through a people who, who were obstinate and rebellious. He said, I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to bring them into that land. And so he says, but I'm not going. I'll send an angel, and the angel will drive out the Hittites, the Canaanites, and Jebusites, all the sites, right? All the ites or whatever they are. You know, all those guys. I'm going to drive them out for you. And then Moses says something that's really interesting. He says, nope. If you don't go, we won't go. And we'll get into that now. So we're going to look at this. Exodus chapter 33 in verse 11, it says that, that uh, Moses pitched a tent outside of the camp and God spoke to him face-to-face, face, just as a man speaks to his friend. That's God's heart for with Moses. He's sitting in this tent, and it shows that the glory of the Lord comes down, sits on this tent, and God's speaking to him. Of course, he's in a cloud. He's not seeing God's face because we know he, no one can see God's face and survive. So God's speaking to him through the cloud, but he's speaking to him as a man speaking to a friend. And so he's communicating. And so Moses is one. He's seeking God. He's going to him. He's communicating with him. God's speaking to him, and he's speaking to God. And by the way, that just shows us that prayer is a two-way communication, that what we're talking with God and he's talking with us, that there has to be at some point some listening and some point some responding to the Lord. So it's a back-and-forth communication and, and, and um, relationship idea that's going on here it's not just coming and speaking to god it's him speaking to us also and so that is really cool because god was speaking to him face to face as a friend and of course moses is called a friend of god abraham is called a friend of god and so then here's what takes place let's start reading in verse 12 says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, Now this is what God said to Moses, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Isn't that awesome? So I've known you by name, Moses, and you found favor in my sight. So he says, now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. So that I might find favor in your sight and consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by you going with us? So that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of the earth. So what Moses is saying this, this is something else, if you think of this. This is God's giving them promises. I've given you, I'm going to bring you into this promised land flowing with milk and honey, and they're out in the wilderness. And if you've ever been to Israel in the wilderness, it is not nice. It's not a nice place. There's nothing out there. It's just nothing, just sand and rocks and probably scorpions and all sorts of other creatures out there. But it's nasty, and it's not good, and it's not a nice place to live and not a great place to be. But then God says, you know, 
Our Moses says, if you don't go with us, we're not going. We're staying out here. He'd rather stay in the wilderness than have every promise of God, than have the blessings of God and those promises outside of his presence because he did say, I'll bring you in. He did say, I will give you the land. I'm going to fulfill my promise, but you just won't have me. And he goes, I don't want your angels. I don't want anything else. I want you. I want your presence. And I'm willing to stay wherever I need to stay to have that. And so there was this idea. And then he says, how else do, are people going to know that we're a distinguished people unless we have your presence. It's your presence that makes us stand out. It's your presence and your blessing in our lives that make us stand out among the people, that distinguish us from everyone else because of what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. And so that's that's what he says. I, I won't go unless you're with us. And so there again just shows Moses' heart for God. He says, God, I want your presence, and I want it more than anything else that you can give us. I want you to be with me, or I don't want the promise. And so that's an interesting concept and idea is that shows his heart for God. I'm just, I want you and your glory. I want you and your glory. And then the chapter continues in verse 17 where Moses asks, show me your glory. Show me your glory. This is interesting. If you think about this, he's already had an encounter with God. God's revealed his name to him, a brand new name no one has ever heard, revealing who he is. Amazing miracles, meets with God on Mount Sinai, gets all this massive revelation, speaks forth all these things, declares the laws to the people, does all these things, and, and intercedes, does all the stuff that we just said. And then he says, show me your glory. He wants to know God. You know, in this other section we just read, he says, show me your ways that I may know you. Because the ways of God show who he is. How God responds and acts show who he is. But now he's asking for something deeper, even just knowing your ways and knowing your um knowing who you are through that, I want to see your face. And I, you know, I, I don't think Moses understood that if, if he saw God's face, he died. So God had to tell him that <laughs> because this is new ground. I mean, they're just going and, and, and he just wants to see God. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to, I want you outside of this cloud. I want to see you instead of the cloud descending and I'm sitting in the tent and there's this cloud and your voice. I want to see who you are. I want to know who you are. And so he says, show me your glory. And so in verse 17 of chapter 33, then the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Isn't that interesting? Just I wasn't planning on saying this, but <laughs> do you remember one of the things Jesus said? Get away from me, for I, I don't know you. It's not that you don't know me. I don't know you. In other words, they never had a relationship with God. And so he goes, I've known you. I know you by name. And so there's that relationship again. And, of course, God knows everybody's name, but, you know, he's talking about relationship here. He's not saying, oh, I, I forgot your name. You know, I wish I had his memory sometimes because <laughs> I have troubles with names sometimes. But then it says, then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. This is his heart. I want to know you more. I want to know you deeper. I want, I want, to, know, I want to know what you look like. Because it's so hard following an invisible God, is it not? He's a, God's a spirit, and those who worship him have to worship in spirit and truth. And so sometimes we struggle with that relationship with the spiritual world because it doesn't seem as real to us as the world that we live in. But he says, I pray you show me your glory. So he's interceding. He's asking God, reveal. And he said, God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you 
and I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said this, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, that's the weirdest thing you ever heard of, right? Because it's just like you, you can't see my face. But we know, we know also from some New Testament scriptures that what it talks about is God's God's so holy and glorious that if we saw him in his glory in our just our sinful bodies that we have right now that we would it would kill us it would literally destroy us because of his glory and the majesty of who he is his splendor and his goodness not because he's mean but because we can't handle seeing him face to face that's why he always came in a cloud or a pillar of fire that's why they could never look upon who the Lord was because it would just he they would be destroyed and and wiped out because of it and actually that's one of the reasons that we're getting a resurrected body and you know what it says in in the, the book of revelations it says we shall see him we shall see him because we'll have new bodies that can handle being in the presence of God and there'll be no sin no darkness, no nothing within us. And we'll be able to look at him and we'll be able to behold him and see him. And there will be no cloud, no, will be no fire because we'll be able to see him because we'll be like him. And that's the incredible thing that's going to take place. And so Moses, he says, you know, show me your glory. But then he's, you know what it says? He says, I'll just show you my goodness. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? I'll put my hand over and I'll pass by. You won't see the fullness of who I am, but you'll just see my goodness passing by. And then I'm going to declare my name. So, so now we continue on, and what happens is in at the end of that chapter, at the next verse 1 of chapter 34, God begins to tell Moses, he said, you, you broke those tablets when you got angry. When they had the golden calf, you need to chop them out. <laughs> you need to make them and get them ready by tomorrow because I'm going to come and I'm going to visit you. So Moses says, show me your glory, but God doesn't show him till the next day. His timing, he, <laughs> he's God, he's going to do what he wants. You know, we can ask him for what we want, but he has the timing. And so now he goes and here's what it says. This is the next day after a full day of him working on getting the Ten Commandments reestablished and all those things. So in Exodus 34, verse 5, it says, The Lord descended in a cloud, and we know why, because he can't see his face. So the Lord descended in a cloud and stood there. And he, Moses, called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, Remember, God said, I'm going to proclaim my name. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worship. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even as this people are so obstinate, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your own possession. Now, God said, I'm going to declare my name. And, it, and, you know, here's how it is in our Bibles, just so we know how that is. You know, they got... They got the Lord in all caps. That's usually the word Yahweh. But, you know, there's multiple words for Lord. Adonai means Lord in, in the Greek. So that's lowercase so that we don't have any confusion of what the word is in English because it's the same word, but 
you know, because they don't want to say, these guys don't want to say Yahweh. They don't want to say that name because it's God's holy name. They don't want to take it in vain by misusing it somehow or some way. So they would always have, call it the name, or they would call it um, Adonai. They would, they would say a different word, Lord, so they wouldn't misuse his name. And so it's really kind of interesting how that worked. But it, it talks about here, he says, the Lord, which is Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, God is El, which means mighty one, the almighty. And so he says, I am, that's my name, I am the almighty. And so I am who I am, the almighty. And he proclaims that name and then he begins to speak about who he is, his character and the qualities of his life. And I was going to preach a sermon on this, but I said after I did all this intro, there's no way I'm going to get through these. So I'm just going to tell you what they are and then we'll look at them at a later time because we're going to look at God and his promises for us. So that's the good thing. And so here's God. He says, I'm going to give you the quick, quick version. He says, I'm, I'm compassionate compassionate he has a heart toward people and i i think of of uh of the the words that were spoken you know at the very beginning and in, in when we talked about exodus chapter 3 god says i hear the groanings of the people i hear the pain that they're in and i'm coming to them i'm compassionate i'm here i want to minister to them and he's gracious and he pours out his love in because of his grace nothing that can be earned it's just his favor and his goodness he's slow to anger and sometimes you know people look in the in the old testament and they see god and that's all they see is a god of anger but they don't see the good works and the things that he's doing and the sacrifices that he's making available for people to come to him they only see when he's bringing judgment and wrath upon a people who rebel against him and who who are doing all sorts of evil and then he says he's abounding in loving kindness. That's the word hesed. That means a, a covenant love. It's the covenant word of God that his love that brings about the relationship that we have with him. And then he says loving kindness and truth. And we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that God bases everything on truth, and what he says is right is right. That is what is true. We're searching for the truth you don't seek anywhere else except for God and the words that he has spoken because that's going to be truth for us. Not that you don't do, you know, other things like scientific research and stuff, but truth is all based on God because he's the creator and he's the true one. And so we see these different things. And then he says, he says, this is wonderful. He goes, I am, am a God, um, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Those are the three key words that are used for sin and, and, sin and evil stuff uh, in the scriptures. Those three key words, he says, I forgive those things so that, again, you can come into relationship. Sin separates from God, and God is the one who forgives so people can come and have that relationship with him. But then he says, I by no means just release or forgive the evil they're going to pay for what they've done they're going to have justice because for him to be a true god and a, a faithful god and a fair god and a just god he has to bring justice he has to do that and you know we we uh man we were seeing this we suzette and i watched um we love watching documentaries history i don't know why we like it so much but we were watching this documentary on prohibition and they were talking about during the prohibition especially in chicago there was you know al capone and stuff and everybody loved the man because he'd take his money and just throw it around and he'd do all this stuff and he would just totally absolutely pay off all these different judges and different things you know they'd bring him to court and his guys boom and they'd be out the next day because there was no, nothing, you know, they, they were basically untouchable because of all the corruption. But that's not justice. That's not right. 
And even though he thought he was so important and so wonderful and everyone loved him, God's going to bring his justice, you know, and if he never accepted Christ, then he'll have to pay for everything he did. And that's with anyone, any one of us that, you know, we come to Christ, he forgives and he, he washes, but he's going to hold those who refuse to come to the knowledge of the truth. He's going to hold them accountable for their deeds. And so then we see, show me your glory. And I was just thinking about Moses, that uh, Moses was a passionate pursuer of God. You can see it. You can see it just those little stories I'm telling you. These are just glimpses into his heart. And he goes out. You know what was interesting? What it says that when, remember when he went out to that tent? We didn't read this, but when he went out to the tent, the people would stand and worship because God would come into the midst. Just amazing. And the people would stand at the doors of their tent and they would watch the presence of the Lord come down. And you know what's really interesting too? Joshua was in that tent. <laughs> and when Moses left, it says that he stayed. He would be in that presence and in that place of, of the presence of the Lord. And the, the, the tent of meeting is what they called it because you're meeting with God. And the people would look and be in awe. And Moses just was a pursuer of God. He wanted the heart of God. He wanted to know who he was. It was more than just doing all, you know, all the things that we talked about that he accomplished. Those would be just great things. And we would think it'd be wonderful. But that's not what he was looking for. He's looking for God. I want more of you. I want to see who you are. I want to know who you are and how passionate a pursuer he was. And we see this in a few people in the scriptures. We see it in like Paul's life. You know, if you think of Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, he says, I've given up everything so I can have follow Christ and I can obtain him. I've given up everything, all the good, all the evil, everything. I've counted everything to be trash and garbage so that I may grab hold of him. And he says, not that I've already grabbed hold, but I press on toward the call of the high calling in God because I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life. And I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know these things and I'm pressing into them and I'm moving into them. And you see people like David and, and his passion for God. God calls him a man after his own heart. We know that his family was a mess. His life was a mess. How can that be? It's just so insane. But really what it does is it shows us that David had a heart after God. And every time, every time God corrected him, he submitted his heart. Every time God, he said, you know, you're the man. And what did he do? He'd fall down and he'd, he'd just absolutely repent and take responsibility. And he had a heart to do the things of God. He messed up and he did things. And let me tell you this, you can look at the scripture and find out that every sin that he committed, everything that he did, came upon his household. You know, he had he had one of his sons rape one of his daughters, you know, by a different mother. Then they had that same brother kill him. So he had all the things that he was doing in the background. When it says that these things will come upon, just because we love God and just because we serve him, when we sin, we open the door for destruction because the... The kids see this stuff, and the kids respond to what's going on, and that's what took place in his life. And because he didn't deal with his son that did the raping, then the other son killed him, and all the mess that was going on. But there's this idea of a passionate pursuit of God, and God blessed David, and God gave David so many incredible promises that one would one who would be from his throne or, or from his lineage would sit on the throne forever. Of course, Jesus is the one who is in the lineage of David. And this is a powerful thing when we think of it, these passionate pursuers. I think of uh, Joshua was the other one because he's sneaking in the tent. He's up on the mountain. He's everywhere. He's there. And he's the one who stands up as for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Every, he's pressing in. He says, we're going to go in and we're going to pursue this land. We're going to take it. We're going to conquer it. We're going to serve the Lord. We can't serve these other gods, but we're going to serve the Lord. And there's this passion and there's this 
thing that he had and and his desire to see the Lord. And I think of another one that we have such little information on is Enoch. Enoch, it says he walked with God for 300 years and he was no more because God took him. Boop! And so what they're... What they're saying is that he was here and God just took him to be in his presence. He took Elijah too, didn't he? Just right up into his presence. Elijah, yeah, who knows when he actually physically died. I have no idea. But he's there and all of a sudden, God snatches him with a chariot from heaven and takes him up. And Elijah sees the whole thing. And all that happens is... He's looking up, and here comes the mantle of the, you know, the prophet's mantle, the cloak or whatever he had, comes flying down, boom, and pops down on the ground. He picks it up. First thing he does is he takes it. Where's the God of Elijah? Bam! And he smacks the water, and it splits. And he walks through on dry land. Now, that's pretty cool. But you see, these guys that are pursuing God, God just... He takes them. <laughs> he wants them. That's really cool. Not that he's killing them and all that kind of stuff because you're going with him, right? Right? And I even think of Moses. You know, you think of all these guys, all the blessings that they did. And Moses' heart after God. That time where he struck the rock the second time when God said, speak to the rock. He says, you've dishonored me because you've done this. You won't lead the people in. And he allowed him to go on the mountain and look and see the promised land that God had promised, but he was unable to enter in. And my belief is that he was healthy and well, but God said, I'm, it's time for them to go in and you, it's time for you to exit. Come to me. And he was gone. And they don't even know that it talks about it in the New Testament that Michael and the devil were fighting over the body of Moses that was out there somewhere. So who knows what all that's about. But we know that Michael said the Lord rebuke you and took authority and then took care of business. So we don't understand all that stuff, but God does, and that's all we need to know. So there's Moses was passionate. And here's the thing that I really want to encourage us with. Moses knew there was more. There's always more. There's always more. There's always more of knowing him. He can reveal himself over and over and over again, and we still don't get it, you know. <laughs> Just if you think, if you think of the angels who have been in heaven since the beginning of creation, since God created the heavens and the earth, when he made those angels, they've been in his presence. And then you see him in the book of Revelation, which speaks of the end times before we all enter eternity. Right? It speaks of the end times and they're falling down before him, worthy as the Lord, and they're just amazed and in awe and in splendor and the glory of who God is. And they're making these declarations and proclamations. They're they're in amazement at what Jesus has done, the Lamb who was slain from the foundations of the earth. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and riches and power. All those things, they're just speaking these things over and over and over again, and they're in the presence of God, and they're amazed at him continually. It says, we see darkly now, and I agree with that. We have no clue who God is. I mean, we do, but we don't. We really do, but we don't. <laughs> because he's bigger than anything we can imagine because we're so limited in our minds, in our understanding. And we're limited in into time, and we're limited into our understanding of things. But when, if you think about this, is that when we have our new bodies, we're entering into the fullness of eternity. No time. We're going to be outside of time. Because you know what it says? This is kind of interesting. Do you remember that he sent the sun and the moon and the stars, all these things, to set up time, day and night, and 24 hours and all these things that we have. He set all those things in motion, but what it says in Revelation 21, there's a new heaven and a new earth. There's no sun, there's no moon, and there's no sea. 
who knows what it's going to be like, but it's going to be different because it's outside of time. God set those in motion for the time that we exist. And when we enter into eternity, those things will no longer be because there will no longer be a time. Because now we're in eternity. Who, uh, who can figure that out, right? It's just, it's crazy. It's insane. I, I can't figure it out. I, I, I don't know. You try, but you can't. <laughs> Whew. Oh, my. It's kind of like, it's kind of like they say, why don't you describe vanilla ice cream to someone who's never had it? Um, well, tastes like vanilla. I've never had vanilla. What's that mean? Um, it's cold. <laughs> tastes good. But you know what I'm saying? How do you describe something that maybe you've experienced, but they have not? It's, it's impossible. And so for us to understand the heavenly things and all the stuff that's going on and the blessing that we're going to have and the difference in life that we're going to have, you know, before you came to Christ, you never knew what you could enter into, but now we do. And this is just the, the first step because when we get this new body and new, new thoughts and everything and we're in his presence and we can see him as he is, it's going to be so totally different that we can't even begin to imagine. So he knew there was more and he wanted it, wanted it. And I don't care how long we walk with God, there's more. There's more because God's inexhaustible. He's inexhaustible. So thank you, Lord, for that. And then I thought of this scripture, like Moses. It says, God is looking for those who long for a deeper relationship with him. You know what it says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9? For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I was thinking that face-to-face -face stuff. When our hearts are for God, it says it in the New Testament this, this way. It says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. God is drawn to those who are drawn to him. God is drawn. He's seeking everyone, but when we, when we come to a knowledge of who he is because he's been pursuing us, when we step in to him, he draws near to us. And so there's this always, I think there's more here. There's always more. Opening our heart more and more to the Lord. Opening our heart to him and giving ourselves to him. And then the final thing that I just want to say out of this that we've read this morning and seeing the heart of Moses, it's only in God, it's only in God that we'll find our true identity, our wholeness, our purpose, and our fulfillment. So our true identity, that's why it's so important. I, I think it's, it is important to know our identity. Who does God say you are? Who does God say we are as his children? Who does God say we are? We're his sheep. Who does God say we are? We're, we're uh, a branch. We need to connect to Jesus and connect to him and have his life flow through us. And there's so many pictures that he gives. We're his ambassadors. We're, we're fellow workers. We're fellow workers with God. He says it. We're joint heirs with Jesus. These are all things that we have that we are made available to us and for us to to actually expand and grow into those and understand what God said about us so that we do it and anytime you do it what God says it's never out of an arrogance or superiority it's just the reality of who we are in Christ it's the reality of who we are being a son of God doesn't mean we can brag about it. Being a son of God doesn't mean we're superior to other people. Being a son or a daughter of God doesn't mean, you know, that that we're we're just so unique that we're so cool that that's why he wants us. He wants everyone. And he said that. He paid the price for every person. And so for wholeness where God wants to heal us and make us whole, 
I just think of some of the scriptures, even in the Old Testament. It says, the Lord's my shepherd, and what's it say? He restores my soul, or he heals us, and he makes us whole, and he wants to heal our bodies. He wants to heal our mind. He wants to heal our emotions. He wants to bring wholeness to every area of our life because he's a God of wholeness. And all those things are precious promises that we've been given. And then purpose. You only find your purpose in doing what God's created you for. doesn't matter how hard you search, how many things you try, until you figure out what God has you here on this earth for and begin to fulfill that. You're not going to find your true purpose. Your true purpose comes from God. And then in him, we have fulfillment. And man, do we ever seek everything else. You know, it's so easy to seek it other places and other people and other, you know, people say, oh, if I get married, then I'll be fulfilled. No, fulfillment doesn't come from a spouse, I guarantee you. Um, challenges come from a spouse because now we have two people who've been made one flesh that are trying to, you know, <laughs> be two. And, uh, <clears throat> and so... Our fulfillment comes from that right relationship with God and seeking his face and being in his presence and understanding who we are. That's how we're going to find fulfillment, and that's how we're going to find peace is in him. So, Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and for your kindness. We thank you that you are a God who is compassionate who's gracious, who's slow to anger. You're a God who is merciful and mighty. You're a God who, who is faithful and true and forgives. And you're a God who brings justice, Lord, where evil things have happened in our lives. You'll bring your justice because you're a faithful God and you're a good God. So we just pray for each one of us, Lord. I pray that you'd stir something in us, a deeper hunger for you. That, Lord, even as, as we do grow older in you, that we would grow closer. God, we're as close as we want, so help us to draw near, because when we do, you'll draw near to us. Just bless each one, I pray, with a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a hunger and a thirst for you, a hunger and a thirst for the truth. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.